right, welcome back, guys. Um, this is another installment, obviously, of PPK Perspectives, and I didn't really mention this in the in the first uh, episode that we did this, but uh, my goal really with this segment is to be bringing on some younger people um, that you know I've been inspired by, people that I think um, should be heard by, especially the younger audience, people that I wish uh, were kind of I don't know prevalent growing up for me as a Catholic. So I'm uh, very excited to be joined by Nathan Crankfield. He has one of my favorite Catholic accounts on uh, Instagram, and he's also the founder of Seeking Excellence. Um, what's up, Nathan? How's it going? What's good, homie? I appreciate that. You know, I think um, several people's, fa- one of their favorite accounts and many people's least favorite accounts. So it's good to hear the uh, the positive feedback as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I know. I'm not... I'm not I'm not big enough just yet to be someone's least favorite account, but I'm looking forward to that day. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. You know, you'll see that in the podcast uh game as well. I, I think I checked the other day to see where like our review numbers and uh I had seen that our one star reviews had increased as well. So Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe on Apple Podcasts we have one one star review. I remember when we got our first dislike on YouTube, I thought that was sick. I was like, here we go. Now we're starting to actually get out there. That's when you know so, you're in the good stuff, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, yeah. so, you know, for obviously those of um, other viewers that, that don't know you, you want to give us a little synopsis of kind of yourself, maybe a little bit about your journey and all that? Sure, absolutely. So, born and raised in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and was baptized Lutheran. My dad was uh, pretty much a non-practicing Baptist. And then I went to Methodist preschool, kindergarten, and started Catholic school. And so when I was 13, I became the first Catholic in my family. Uh, four years later, um, it was my mom's confirmation sponsor, which was a highlight for sure. And then I went to Mount St. Mary's University in Evansburg, Maryland, um, which I absolutely loved. Uh, I did Army ROTC there. And then before graduating, became uh, or was commissioned an infantry officer in the Army. Um, I went down to Fort Benning, Georgia for a year. I had already completed airborne school and um, in, in Georgia the second time around, I did my infantry training and then ranger school. Um, graduated from ranger school in June of 16, of 2016. Um, and then I went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina for three years. In the middle of those three years, deployed to Afghanistan for six months. Um, got back from Afghanistan, was like, all right, I think I've had uh, my fill of this army stuff. You know, I had kind of done most of the things I wanted to do. And so then I went to uh, Dynamic Catholic. And so in 2019, got out of the Army, worked at Dynamic Catholic for a year as a parish consultant. Um, I had the Diocese of Austin and Kansas City. It was absolutely incredible. Loved it. Uh, and then moved to Benedictine for eight months, served as a resident director there for a short stint. Mainly moved there to, to date Emily, who I'm marrying in two weeks uh, from the day of recording. And then uh, I started with Hallow this past July. And so I've been working with Hallow for coming up on uh, eight months, I think, or just a, uh, just, oh. a, just over eight months. And then in the midst of all that, I started Seeking Excellence podcast and writing and things like that. And so I love to, to podcast. This is one of my favorite things to do. So it's great to be here with you, man. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. Dang, that, was, that was a lot. Thank you for your service, first of all. Um, yeah, I did thanks. not even, I did not even realize you were, you did all that, which is, yeah, you're way cooler than, than anything I've done. That's for sure. Um, hey, you're uh, still but, young. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I am still young. That's, uh, that's cool. Uh, how is actually, I, I didn't plan on asking this, but how is Hallow? Cause I actually, 
I tried applying there, but I didn't get, I didn't get any luck. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's great. Um, I, I often tell people, I think it's the best Catholic company in the world. Uh, like from compensation to obviously mission and, and just the purpose driven work that we get to do. Um, the company culture is great. I get to work from home here in Denver. The company's based out of Chicago. I don't really have to travel too often, and they're very flexible if you want to travel or if you don't. My other major perk is that uh, my second groomsman in my wedding is my boss. And so (laughs) we grew up. uh, He actually went to the same church growing up as Christian Duke, I'm pretty sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we went to high school together. And so uh, that's that's super fun as well. That's sick. Yeah, I love it. It's five stars, man. Yeah, well, you know nice. what? I'm gonna I'm gonna keep applying, and one day you should. You know, maybe we'll be coworkers. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we had. I mean, I know for one of our positions on our team, we had like 240 applicants. So yeah, I I'm bet. forever reminded how, how how lucky I am. How Dude, I, I thought am, you know? I thought that Franciscan degree would just get me anywhere in life, but it, it's not <laughs> true. I guess <laughs> we do have a, a Franciscan grad on the sales team. Um, but she's a few years out of college and had some sales experience and stuff. Yeah, so. that's a thing too. I'm, I'm a young. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into some of the deep questions, I like to I like to kind of break the ice a little bit. And I just came sure. off of uh, me and my wife watched uh, the Batman last night, and uh, dude, I'm so hyped up about it. But I, I want to hear at least. Okay, you got you got three movies that you can watch for the rest of your life, but it's only those three. Mm-hmm. What are you choosing? Wow. Uh, so I think. The one of the keys here is is picking different genres. Mm-hmm. So I would go. I think the debatably the best comedy movie ever is Step Brothers, um, especially if you're grading for watchability and like repeated watchability. Oh yeah, of course. Um, so I I'd say Step Brothers would be one of them, mm-hmm. um, and then I'd probably go with like a really good drama of some sort, um, which would probably be like The Departed or man on fire or like training day i'm a mm-hmm. big denzel guy mm-hmm. and then i would say last i would need one that's like inspiring and mm-hmm. my favorite inspiring movie if i really want to get after it is creed i'm a huge rocky wow. the whole rocky series i love them all wow. obviously rocky five is the worst one but um creed the creeds were my favorite the come up the combination of like modern day philly culture which is what harrisburg was like rocky you know rap music i mean it was it was such a dope combo so that's interesting dude that's really interesting i i I do it i wouldn't think about creed like that i i liked creed a lot i'm just not like a big michael b jordan fan but i think he does well for that you know what i mean yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I get I, that. I think he was good in Just Mercy as well. I'm not a massive fan of him as a individual. Uh, yeah. you know, which is true yeah. for most people in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> so exactly. You got like yeah, Chris exactly. Pratt and yeah. Matthew McConaughey. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, like exactly. And Denzel. Denzel's pretty non woke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's he doesn't speak out much, but uh he is pretty non-woke when, when they do push him on things like race and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. I've seen a few of those videos. I, I like yeah. the the Step Brothers has got to be a top five comedy. I think no matter how you put it. For me, it's probably the other oh, guys. Sure. If I'm choosing a comedy, that's really? got to be mine. Yeah, I got it, dude. It's just too good. That's crazy to me. Really? You like it? I, I mean, I like it, but I would call it like a C plus. I think it's wow. Will Ferrell alone. I don't think it makes his top five. So... <laughs> 
that's crazy that's a wild I, I got that uh, my drama is goodwill hunting uh oh, probably and also then, uh, also combination of inspiring and drama with yeah hunting. no yeah you no know? definitely that one hits dude every time like it's like i've seen it like four times and i still cry at that one scene every time yeah but um that and then it's like literally just throw in any of the uh you could throw in this batman or the last three batmans and it's like i'm not even oh, a comic a book guy I just i just love batman though like any of those the dark, you could do dark knight dark knight rises or this yeah. last one was insane dude but um okay yeah no, enough of them this is not a movie channel unfortunately <laughs> maybe one day we'll get there but um you know i think today we're talking about a few different things um we have i think at least a similar journey of sort of like this weird i don't know transition of like both politics and faith and kind of that was a big thing for me um in high school was really starting to like feel like i was challenged and like um like one of the things i always say is i went so i you know i told you i went to a public school i went to public school my whole life besides franciscan and uh in my ap government class our teacher actually had to sit by political affiliation which is pretty wild to do in the public school for sure um and uh and it's generally you know ap is generally what you would consider probably middle class upper middle class people for the most part and uh yeah we had four people in my row which was essentially just conservatives and then about you know 26 28 people in the other rows so that's when I like really started to put together like, wow, okay, like I got to really educate myself on some things. And I'm in the minority. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Like big time. That's crazy. And so, um, yeah, that was wild. But anyways, yeah. One of the you know things I thought w- would be great for us to talk about obviously was, is, is diversity. And, um, I think it could be an interesting subject. And I feel like because, um, most, I guess, prominent Catholic speakers don't tend to be minority. Maybe it feels like a weird thing to talk about. But because, um, you know, well, I'm not prominent, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a minority, so maybe I can have a, a little dose of something. <laughs> and you're Catholic. But, yeah, yeah, and I'm Catholic as well. So I was <laughs> thinking, two out you know, of the three. Like, yeah, exactly. I got two out of the three. So maybe something's worth going on here. But I think for starters, like, let's define what we think actual diversity means, right? So I think, you know, words have meaning and we can't just throw around things and, and use this sort of you know, trigger words that maybe the society wants us to. So like, what would you define as actual diversity? That's a great question. And I've never thought about this before and I'm not going to cheat and Google it real quick. But what I would say, I think of when I think of the word diversity or what I think it would be defined as, because there is a definition of it, right? And I'm not trying to just give my own. Um, so I, it'd be good to also like reference the dictionary. But I think of variation, right? Like you have a group of things or a group of people when, when there's diversity among them, there's differences. Um, and, uh, that I think is the most simplest version, right? Is like, there's, there's a group of people. They're not just homogenous. They're not all the exact same. They don't think the same. They don't look the same. They don't act the same. Um, there's just differences. And obviously one of the interesting things with that broad definition is that no two people are the same, right? So there's always like some degree of diversity, um, and it could be applied to so many different things. But that's what I think of variation or differences amongst a group of things or people. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree. Um, and that's that's obviously because it's so broad, it can be taken in a lot of different ways, and we've seen it used as mm-hmm. an agenda and stuff like that. For us sort of minority Catholics, though, um, like how do you think we should view it? And what what sort of value should we place on it? Um, I feel like it's it's a dangerous place to be, right? Like we don't want to be yeah. act like we're some we have some sort of stool 
or, or step above other people who aren't minorities. It's like, oh, no, we have something to say. It's our time to say right. something. Like, I don't really like that. Um, but what do you like? How do you think we should look at it? How, what value should we place on diversity? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing. And, you know, I, I talk about this a lot. I write about it a lot. Um, not a lot, not as much as I'd like to, but I am working on eventually writing a book on this. I have like 25,000 words for it on race in the church and things like that and racism, BLM. Mm -hmm. And it's tough because like when I write and I talk about it, it's interesting to see how it kind of convicts both sides because I think on the right within the church, we, we have this uh, hesitancy to admit that diversity is valuable, right? Like it is good. Um, and I think that's most clear when I write, uh, when I wrote my letters on um, racism back in 2020, when I, uh, my first letter was to white friends and family. I talked about, uh, or I had this line in there when I said, you know, do you remember the last time you were the only person of your race in the room? And most white people do, you know, for those of us who are minorities in the church, we don't, right? Because you probably have this happen all the time, right? Like it, it happened to me at family reunions growing up, right? On my mom's side. And then there was times where I, sometimes I'd be the light, most light-skinned person in the room on my dad's side. But most white people, I noticed with my friends as I was growing up, whenever they were the only white person, we were at the barbershop or going to play basketball, it, they always pointed it out, right? Like it was uncomfortable. They always noticed it. And it's like, well, imagine that discomfort, but when you're in mass, you know, and then you have some older uh, white person who's looking at you that maybe you sat in their pew and they might just be rude and grumpy. Sometimes old church ladies are just rude and grumpy. Right. But you do have this kind of wonder when you are the only person of your skin color in the church. And they're looking at you funny or not being friendly. It's almost impossible to not wonder is does that play a role in it, right? Like I'm, I'm tat, I'm tatted, you know what I mean? I'm in my polo and slacks or whatever, but it's like, you know, does this have an effect on the way they look at me? And it's possible. But the other side of it is that diversity for diversity's sake gets really dangerous because it gets most dangerous when it's forced diversity. Um, and we don't value what I was talking about earlier of all the different forms of diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of, you know, because you can look at it, Jordan Peterson is really good at this, at taking things and saying, well, maybe it's not as simple as you think, right? So are, are five people who were all raised upper middle class, all went to Catholic private schools all their lives, but two are Hispanic, two are black, and one's white, different or, or more diverse or less diverse than five white people, one from the absolute lower class raised in a trailer park, that has risen to the middle class, one who was raised middle class, one who was raised upper class, one who's, uh, you know, an immigrant from Italy and one who's, you can think of something else, right? Or they have five very different professional backgrounds. Like we, we have this, this obsession with thinking of, of race as the being the, sometimes just the primary, but sometimes going as far as I think it's the exclusive factor in diversity, um, and obviously sex or gender plays a role in that as well in, in modern day society. But I think that's what we have to start to value is to say, how can we have this like virtues in the mean to be like, it is nice to have representation. There's no doubt about it. Like it's, I, I'd rather not be the only black person in the room. It's just true. And I can't help but notice it sometimes. I do go a lot of my life without noticing it. It's not constantly on my mind when I'm the only black person in the room. But it is nice, you know what I mean, to not be. Um, 
But at the same time, I'm not trying to have these kind of like you were talking about. I don't want like racial advantages um, or to be like held up as prominent or be able to like share my black experience in a way that's going to degrade fellow white Catholics, um, which I think all comes to primarily seeing ourselves as Catholic first and then seeing each other, you know, Catholic first. We both love God and then thinking, how can we best love our neighbor kind of from there? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And it's funny because I think, like you were saying, right, as as conservatives, we can kind of try to, like, dust it off and act like it doesn't matter. But it, it does. Like, I, you know, I think, and when I look back in, in my life and things like that and, like, watching, like, competition shows or stuff like that, like, I'm going to root for the guy that looks most like me, probably. Or if that guy's, right. like, a a d-bag then i'm gonna go for someone who's like a, just a good guy or whatever but a lot of times it's like those natural things and like okay for me for instance i'm guamanian lebanese indonesian and dutch mostly so like there's actually literally wow. no one like me except for my brother like that's he's the only person <laughs> that's, that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> like me cow. so yeah like i and like you said i'm used You're like to a like a quarter from each continent <laughs> yeah it's everything <laughs> i could possibly be like when people that's they funny. always ask me like what are you i just say i'm just not black or mexican that's like the two things that i basically everything yeah. else i basically am but no i mean it's true right I mean, there's a lot of things of like even growing up for me, the closest thing to me was like uh, Filipino necessarily, but it's like, I'm not Filipino. So it's, it's just like, there's just so many different cultures and stuff. And you do try to seek that out, I think in some ways. And there's a, lo- there's a certain level of importance. This is a reason why I felt a calling to try to pr- do at least ministry and podcasts and bring you on and things like that. Cause you know, there are kids who, who want to see, um, at least I knew I did want to see more people like me um, living out their faith in an authentic way. Absolutely. Um, and and yeah i think um yeah like i said i think i think you just raised a good point those are are some things that do matter and it's just important that we don't get caught up in that to the point where it's like all we think about right i mean there's there's so much more important things than just having different skin colors or things like that um for sure um but yeah there's a i think you touched on a lot of things right in in terms of like when is it important and when it's not um but one of the things i think is interesting um, with diversity and kind of the climate that we're in, um, I think unfortunately, what we see a lot is minority Catholics not necessarily thinking a lot like us. Like I'd like to think that most, oh, yeah. if you're Catholic, you understand what that means. You're Orthodox and everything. And when we talk about conservatism, we're really discussing. You know, I think a basic definition is you're conserving past values, traditions, morals, and things like that. It's kind of the whole idea. Whereas like progressivism is progressing forward like kind of like almost this like marxist idea of you're you're continually in this way of history until you get to that point where you're supposed to be in some sort of utopia or whatever um so uh you know one of the things i think it's important to talk about um it might be a tough question for you though is why do you think that majority of minority catholics tend to be more liberal yeah, no, I, I, that's not a tough question. I don't think at all. Uh, <laughs> I think it's it's one that a lot of people get uncomfortable with talking about. I think you know, in in talking about just racism in America, one of the things I often like to point out is this phrase called uh, the soft bigotry of low expectations. And I can't remember off the top of my head who like first coined it, but basically that concept is it's it, the voter ID law, right? Like the the um, the uproar and backlash against the voter ID law in Georgia is a great example of that, right? Like you heard president Biden saying, you know, like 
black black people and and brown people in the country like can't drive to the DMV like they can't use the internet to figure out how to get a license and or a, an identification card right poor black and brown people not poor people in the country but poor poor white people can do it but poor black and brown people can't do it or when he had that you know kind of cognitive slip where he said uh uh, poor kids are just as smart and just as bright as yeah. white kids, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's kind of this, or you see it in the Smithsonian's thing with uh, Ibram Kendi, where it's talking about like whiteness, the qualities of whiteness are like timeliness, hard work, uh, you know, <laughs> kindness, politeness. It's like, dude, so what does that mean for black people? Um, it's pretty crazy. And I think that that soft bigotry of low expectations really bleeds into the church. And the way that I see it the most in the church is that black and brown people are never challenged like many other people to or especially white, you know, Anglo countries to kind of conform to the church. There's like this this fear of like the combativeness of and, and, and black people and brown people are very proud and they are very strong willed. And I love that, you know, um, but I think there's this. Well, we have to allow the the drums or, you know, in uh, in Spanish masses, the, the guitars and all these things because it's cultural, you know, and like and that was one of the things we kind of seen come out of Vatican II, especially the spirit of Vatican II, not necessarily in the documents of Vatican II or the letter of Vatican II, but definitely in the spirit of it where it was like everything had to be super cultural. And so therefore, when I, I just find this incredible correlation and have in my lifetime of orthodoxy and conservatism and unorthodox, you know, Catholicism and liberalism um, or progressivism, better, better said. Um, and so I think that's that's why we have that. And I think it kind of flows that way for a lot of black and brown Catholics where it's like you have these uh, Father James Martin types who are, you know, more interested in addressing uh, the Jesuits are much more interested in addressing some of the issues of race or at least taking those issues seriously or hearing them out or speaking about them. Um, and they're, and they have the unorthodox faith. And then, so it's kind of like this, I think cycle of just madness, right. Um, and irrationality that leads from or unorthodoxy into progressivism and back around again. Um, and I think just like when I was 18, I registered as a Democrat, I always say I was very drawn as a young Christian and especially as a young black Christian to the issues of social justice. Right. And it seems on the surface, no doubt about it, they're definitely better at marketing and acting like they care about people. Democrats, I mean. Um, so it seems on the surface like they're the ones who really care, you know. And so if you if you don't go any deeper into it. And you have priests and religious leaders who are doing, you know, have unorthodox liturgy and liturgical abuses. Um, then I think it's very likely and it's very understandable how my, so many people are drawn to that. And then they they have this desire to not be the only black person in the church. Um, and just like the Republican Party, I think, is really bad at advertising to, to black and brown people. So are uh, orthodox Catholic churches. I think they're really bad in their marketing and inviting uh, people who don't look like them or think like them to, to come to mass. 
And so you kind oh, of have this like congregation and either they yeah. go there because they're unorthodox or because they're liberal or because they want to be around other black people. And then the other two of the three <laughs> start to come more alive in their lives as they go on. And they're more likely to be empathetic towards LGBT stuff, towards BLM, towards illegal immigration, all those other things that follow. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about it. In, in those type of ways before because you know for me when I'm thinking about it it's like well a lot of uh, I, I grew up obviously I grew up in California so you're around a lot of Mexicans and Filipinos where it's a very cultural Catholic place for them right. and there's not and it, it, I, I don't think a lot of it's their fault um, I think it's hard to be you know really educated back in like the 1700s or something or 1500s when the Catholicism was first brought to your country. I don't know how you can know so much depth. You just take, you know, you have something like Guadalupe and you hold on to that faith as much as possible. And, right. you know, you pass it down as best you can maybe. And, and it, it becomes a point where, you know, it becomes on each generation though to figure out for themselves why they're, you know, a lot of people maybe aren't asking themselves that question. But I think one of the interesting things that I kind of want to dive into a little bit is, Sort of that idea of like, for me, right? Like I, like we were just talking about, like we want to look for that representation, but I'm not going to lie, dude. When I see like another minority Catholic, maybe younger, I'm like for sure sizing them up being like, dude, where do you stand? Like, I, I, I really want to know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like if, if you're wearing a mask sure. at mass, if you're wearing like a mask yeah. at mass, I'm like, mm, I don't know if we can really be. And at Franciscan, so like there's a lot of times that we were just talking about like being the only person in the room. Dude, I was like the token brown guy, like 90% of the time in, oh, at Franciscan. Yeah, which is like, fine. I don't care. Like, I really don't because like I'm with people who understand, you know, real Catholic truth and they're building me up and we're making each other better and we don't care about any of that nonsense. And I'd rather be with those people 10 out of 10 times if they're white, I don't care who it is, those people than sit there and try to force something with people who I, I don't think are on maybe, maybe the same level of thought or understanding the same sorts of uh, tradition and orthodoxy that we place emphasis on that actual cat. Like it, there's, I don't, I don't even know. Like, I think the term even like a liberal Catholic is just nonsense. Like that doesn't even make sense. Like it, it just can't be like when you have like this, <laughs> when you have 2000 years of tradition, there's no such thing as like a progressive Catholic. It's just, I don't think you're Catholic right. at that point. Right. But I think that's, I think it's interesting to dive into. Um, I don't know if you have anything to comment on that, but I, yeah. Oh, definitely. I think, uh, I think everything you just said, um, you, you put words to what I was just thinking before you even said it, but I think that's why you're not going to be divorced in 30 years because what a lot of people do in dating and marriage and they do it with friends and they do it with the church they pick is they prioritize stupid things like interests or hobbies over values and principles and faith and morals right and so that's what we're talking about and that's what you and i stopped doing or, or maybe you never did it but that's what i stopped doing eventually where it was like i want to hang out with people who look like me who act like me who are listening to the same music i do and want to play basketball with me to i got into college and then when i was in the army especially i was like man i can't i gotta be careful who i spend all this time with because i was away from kind of the catholic bubble you know and i knew i was very susceptible to fall back into my past lifestyle and so i'm like who I spend time with really matters. And I mean, that ultimately is why I'm marrying Emily, right? That's why we get along so well. That we're lucky and blessed to have obviously hobbies and things we like to do together as well. But the main thing that like keeps us from fighting all the time or um, fear of like breaking up or, you know, things like that is the fact that 
we share the same faith, we share the same like devotion to the faith, not just we're both baptized Catholics, you know, but like we share the same devotion to the faith, we understand its priority, we understand the priority of family, especially our family um, that we're going to create and build together, and we understand the importance of evangelization, we understand the importance of conservative principles and values like allegiance and devotion to the truth. Um, while also being compassionate in our Catholicism and trying to, you know, make the world a better place while we're here. And so, yeah, man, I think that's, that's the whole thing is like, would I, would I love to have more black Catholics at mass? Yes. Or at, at my parish? Absolutely. Do I, do I want more liberal Catholics at my parish? No. And so it's, it's hard for even the, us, us people of color, you know, to um, not, be judgmental or to be concerned or fear you know when that happens uh just because you get so conditioned by it and kind of it kind of makes me think too when you talked earlier about like prominent catholic speakers and like there's been this increase in in, in demand for diversity especially in things like um ncyc and stuff like that like some some of these like bigger catholic conferences are pretty um in uh committed to that kind of stuff like diversity and things like that Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's funny to see, I'm like, I'll never be one of those people because I'm too conservative, you know, like the, the black people whose voices do get elevated within the church for some reason or another are almost always, uh, the liberal ones. And so it's, it's something that you have to kind of choose between, but for those, you know, for you and I, it's very consoling, obviously, and it's God's, God's plan, like God will hard to do whatever he wants with our lives right in our ministries but it's very uh to me emboldening to know that when we speak about these things in this way like we're not doing it for our own personal advantage you know like we must believe it and we must think it's true in order to say it because it's not like we're just coasting along with the wind because i think that i have the talent and the ability to speak with some of these other speakers but (laughs) i'm not willing to you know, get up and yeah. cry about racism yeah. or sexism or yeah. any other woke stuff they want me to talk about. So, yeah, no, it, it, so there's something, there's something I wasn't really planning on diving into this too much, but I feel like, dude, it's when, I, when I'm really thinking about it and I, and I bring up that point of like, yeah, I'd want to see more people like me. But then when I do, I'm like really questioning like, okay, dude, like, you know, yeah. like, are you sure that you're really about this? Or like, um, I don't know, just other things. And maybe those aren't, I don't know, maybe those aren't the right thoughts or whatever, but those are, those are really what I feel of like, okay, let me try to like vet this guy out and see, is this guy really about it in the same ways? Cause that's, what's more important, I guess. Right. right. When you see those people, but you know, one of the things I always talk about and that frustrates me is how the Protestants have such a hold on the younger generation. It seems like we miss out all the time. Right. Like I think, yeah. and, and a lot of it has come from a period of, I think starting with the sort of spirit of Vatican two and stuff. And just the churches that just, they just started making them just so ugly with their like red oh, carpet yeah. stuff and everything that's just, you know, and you get to a point, felt I think you, yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah, the, felt, Circle the churches, classic, yeah. yeah, exactly. It, it, and it's, and it's interesting. And I think the, you know, point I'm getting to is really that we lost so much of, of like trying to go out and, and understand the depth of our faith, like the beauty that we once hold. And I'd rather, you know, there's like, you know, 15 Catholic churches in, in a, in a particular city. It's like, I'd rather have less and have them be beautiful than try and do all this, like, 
I, 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 we just started catering so much to people where it's like, oh, no, 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 we have to make it a, a five-minute drive, but we don't have the, the funds to, or the church used to, you know, really help try to fund art, beautiful art. I mean, we, you know, we paid the biggest artists in the world, the Da Vinci's or Michelangelo's and things like that. And I think we just right. lost so much and we're losing this youth battle because there's like, I guess this conflict that, you know, we're talking about, right? It's the idea that, no, you don't really care about that stuff. You don't care about simply aesthetics or how things look or maybe the vibes of something are, but at the same time, it's like you kind of do though. And I think there's got to be some proper balance between those because like, once again, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing ministry. It's, it's like, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing that target to the young audience because no matter how hard someone like maybe a Scott Hahn does, who's going to be, who's better than I'll ever be, who's smarter than I'll ever be, all that kind of stuff. There's still a certain level of disconnect. So it does matter to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, I don't, I, you know, I guess I'm asking like, how do you find that balance? Where is that at? And sort of like, you do you get at least where I'm coming from in the sense that when I look at, okay, let's see when I go through Instagram, right. And I'm like, I see a good clip. This guy's got, you know, he's got a nice fit on. He's he, the video quality's great. He's, he's seeking some truth nine times out of 10. It's some, you know, rich Wilkerson or this or that guy. And it's like, I think there's room for Catholics to try to take some of that space in social media and try to be that without losing real authenticity. Right. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm not advocating for all of us to wear, um, you know, off white shoes, the mass and, you know, like their services are and those kind of things, not that point, but don't you think there's room for us to try to at least push ourselves a little bit more? Like I, you think about, there's no prominent Catholic speaker that really has that same level of connection and like, um, maybe followers or audience. And I think that's for a reason as a, as a rich Wilkerson or Chad Veach or um, whoever it may be. Um, but I think there's, there's some room, right. On, at least on, on the social media or Instagram for us to start pushing ourselves. Like, why can't we go out and do more? Why are we not talking to this group or that group? Like there's more that we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things you're going to, you're going to see, the deeper you get into ministry too, that I've, I've learned a lot, you know, my years getting out of the army, um, getting to see some other ministries and getting to meet more of these like more prominent Catholic speakers and things like that. Um, cause before I had never met any, like when I was in college and I went to seek like all of those speakers, you know what I mean? were like rock stars to me. Mm-hmm. And now I've met a lot of them over the last few years. Um, and it's been pretty interesting to me, but one of the things I think really happens to people is, when it does become your full-time job, it is difficult to not start to conform in some way or another, right? So that's why a lot of them won't speak out against BLM mm-hmm. penetrating the church or LGBT stuff. Like they, they're just silent on that. And you'll see these speakers, these Catholic speakers who have done great work and they've been incredible chastity speakers or, you know, just generally like theologians or um, their apologetics are really strong. But they're afraid to talk about these difficult topics because it's like, well, what will that do to my speaking engagements, to book sales, to all these other things? And so that's the that's the challenge, I think, in the ultimate kind of dichotomy is how do we remain relatable? Because the other thing that always got me too. so like sometimes people complain, right, because I curse on my podcast or I curse on Instagram, right? I never take the Lord's name in vain, never any GDs, never even, you know, even non-curse words take the Lord's name in vain. Um, but, I, you know, I curse every now and then. And I'm like, what's funny to me about it is I've, I've seen, I've spent so much time with all these Sikh speakers and they all curse. 
But then it's like there's like this persona that they have to the world. And I don't and one of the things that I wanted to not have is like I don't have a persona. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> bro, if we were if we were chilling together in person, like this is what I talk about, this is how I talk, this is the these are things that I say. And if I wouldn't curse in front of you, you know, off I'm not, I mean, this is your podcast. I don't know what you do on yours. So that's a little bit different. But if you know, if if you were on mine, like I'm not going to say anything to you on my podcast that I wouldn't say to you in, in normal life. And some people do. And there's times and reasons, especially if you're doing stuff for kids or whatever, that you want to be different in that. But but my point with that, I think it's an example of one of many things where there's like this inauthenticity of these people have all these conservative views, but don't want to share them because they're afraid of the pushback. They talk a certain way or act a certain way or dress a certain way, but you start to change over time. And... uh it's really interesting to me because I, I think it's almost like obviously it's horrible, like the term Uncle Tom or, you know, these Oreos and all this stuff that a lot of people of color get when they are conservative is is really ugly. But I think it's really interesting that, uh, you know, I am still bothered by black Catholic speakers who are on the conservative side that that don't actually learn anything about the topic of racism and go speak about it. This happened at Benedictine. I'm not going to say who it was, but it was a pretty big like Catholic speaker. And he went, and he talked about racism and they asked him about like Ibram Kendi and Ta-Nehisi Coates and some of these like prominent um, black uh, <laughs> leaders in, in the progressive movement. And he just had like no idea even who they were. And I'm like, why would you come speak? And like, not everybody needs to be an expert on everything. But if you're going to come speak about it, like you have to do the work, you have to do the learning. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and you should as as a black Catholic, when you know this is so divisive within black Catholics, if you care about black Catholics, that's that's why I learned about that stuff. Right. That's why I started learning apologetics, because I cared about my friends and family members and Bible study attendees who had these questions. That's why I learned the answers, right? I was already convinced. I didn't need to know, you know, uh, why why people think, like how to defend the fact that we don't pray to Mary. But some people weren't coming to mass because of that. And so I learned the answer to that question, right? And so that's the same way that I think we have to approach all of these issues is those things are keeping people away from God. They're keeping people away from Christ. And so is our inauthenticity and our lack of willingness to truly be who we are, Um and, and I think we just have to try to do that. And we don't know if it'll work. You know, you know that like cleaning up and polishing and kind of being a certain type of person that gives a certain type of talks, a certain type of way will be successful. What we're experimenting with now, you know, and we have all these new platforms and things like social media and podcasts to try it um, is if we can if we can still be us and and still, you know, make a positive impact in the lives of other people. Um but yeah, I think it's it's hard, man. It's hard. It's hard when you don't have that. Yeah, the high quality people who dress like you or yeah. you know look like you or yeah. into the stuff that you're into. Um, because yeah, it's just devastating when you when you hold somebody up and then you kind of realize like, wow, we have nothing in common. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, you can still learn from people who you don't have anything in common with. Yeah. Um, but it's still different because you're like, how do I emulate that? You know? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think I, I was when I was sitting there and I asked the question, right? Like, you know, where are we wrong in it? I think there's a certain level, though, of let's say <clears throat> people like me and you, right? Um, you know, we both got tattoos. Mine are on my leg, so you can't really see them yet. 
But, uh, you know, even like, for instance, my parents aren't big fans of that, that I have that or whatever. And I think there's a certain level, right, of, sure. of maybe people like us who are going to try to come up. And I don't know if people want to give us the platform because I even, I even have um, a friend who went to an FFS, FSSP parish his whole life and stuff. And, um, and then he got a couple of tattoos on his arms and he went to mass in like a short sleeve button up and they saw, and then his, he, he had certain moms and parents coming up to his mom saying like, Hey, we don't want your son coming around here because we don't want our kids to see that and now want to do it. And it's like, oh, yeah. so you mean tell me, right? Like <clears throat> here I am at generally what's going to be the most traditional parishes and things like that. Something that like, you know, I, I look forward to being a part of once I'm closer to one. Um, cause I do love the Latin mass and stuff. That's why I try to attend to, um, on Sundays and things like that. Um, but then it's like, you're going to get some of that sometimes, right? So it's like, ha, oh, yeah. maybe maybe the reason why we don't have <clears throat> more yeah. of the Bob Lesnevsky, I don't know if you know Bob Lesnevsky, but I could imagine throughout his whole career, I'm not career, no, his entire ministry that he's been doing, that he's just been maybe undermined because it's like, oh, you know, no, you look like this and we don't want our kids to be around you and doing that. And I think that might be part of the issue too, right? Like, I think I can't completely just discredit people. But maybe it's like sometimes the the church itself um, and being the people of the church, maybe like not even letting those people come up and really have a platform. Right. Dude, that's one of the things that gives me the most confidence with kind of where we're at, right? Like kind of in this like Orthodox Catholic um, conservative kind of pocket of the church and world while also still being like kind of uncomfortable to a lot of people in that realm. You know what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. I think you're exactly right. And when I got, uh, especially my forearm tattoos done, <laughs> sorry, my dog's playing with the toy. <laughs> um, but when I when I got those, there were certain people in my life who were not big fans as well. And what I what I came to and talking with some of you know family and stuff like that was it kind of came down to this: what will people think mentality, right? And like my question all along was like but can you explain to me how it's a sin, right? Like I have, I have, I mean, it's Jesus and the blessed Virgin Mary, you know, on my forearm. And yeah. I'm like, if you have arguments for that, like that's something I'll hear, but you're just worried mm -hmm. about people's opinions. Mm -hmm. And I'm not like, that's, that's where we're disagreeing on this topic. Yeah. And so just kind of leaving it at that. But I think there is the thing that a lot of the left, I think the, the leftist Catholics, when you see like reformed Catholicism on Instagram or new ways ministry, like they feel like they're the ones that are kind of like pushing back against the Pharisees, right? Because they get so much pushback from the religious leaders. Um, but it's like, no, you're just like objectively going against like the church herself, right? Like violating <laughs> scripture. Like Jesus didn't come and be like, you know, just absolutely violate the Torah, right? Like just violate the old Testament and be, he came to fulfill it. He did not come to just abolish it and be like, no, that's wrong. And he was Jesus, right? These are just regular humans who come and just completely violate church teaching, scripture, and think somehow that they're doing Christ's work, like like angering the Pharisees. Um, and this goes all the way to like cardinals in Europe, you know, who are like um, blessing same-sex marriages and things like same-sex mm -hmm. unions. Um but I think it's what's, what makes me feel good about where we're at is we get to do both of that, right? Like yep. we're challenging them, which to me is challenging the world, the leftist Catholics who are just like leftist, everybody else is just that yep. they go to mass sometimes. 
um, but they they have the same beliefs as everybody of the world, right? They're mm-hmm. they're children of the world that think they're pushing back against Pharisees, but they're really just one with the world. And then, but we also make people uncomfortable on you know in the church sometimes because there are people in the church who are racist, or there are people in the church who hate tattoos or hate people wearing hoodies or you know like. They they just hate different things that we do. They might hate your hat, you know, like you know, yeah. be if you're at like a church, you know, picnic yeah. and you're dressed the way that you are now. They might hate yep. that. Yep. And it's like that's okay because because your hat's not sinful, right? Your hoodie's not sinful. And so that is, I think, we do have these Pharisees who are usually very lukewarm in the faith, very culturally Catholic, but they go to mass every Sunday and they're mad about this guy with tattoos, right? Yeah. Um, I've always thought it was so interesting both at Dynamic Catholic and here uh, with Hallow, is we get to work with a lot of church people. And occasionally you get people being rude to you. And it's always like the same kind of person that has the same kind of spirit. They're like, uh, you know, in their 50s or so, 50s or 60s. They're, they go to Mass often, very culturally Catholic. No no actual prayer life, right? Like you can just tell. Like, there's no mental prayer ability. Like, it's just, you know, go to Mass, survive, and then you're Catholic. But they're, they're angry. They push back. They get upset about the little things of all this stuff. And it's like, what I've always laughed about, dog, is I'm like, I have to evangelize your kids, because you're the type of Catholic who, who whose kids don't go, none of your kids go to mass. They're not getting married in the church. And what I'm trying to do, even though you're mad at me, even though you hate me for the way I do it or the way I dress or the way I, my tattoo, whatever, I'm like, I'm the one who your kids come across on social media or my podcast or whatever that reach out to me and are like, what you're, what you're talking about earlier of like, wow, I didn't know people like me did this. I didn't know you could be happy and and catholic i didn't know you could you know and yeah. so it's really it's really crazy man but yeah that's yeah definitely gets me worked up but it no. helps me to just feel good about where we're at kind of it's yeah. not in the middle but i just feel like it's it's where we're supposed to be you know yeah like challenging no, and i do it with blm and race sometimes too to be like hey these people aren't necessarily stupid even though it's easy to say that it's easy yep. to do that um but they're just kind of they're they're brainwashed by the yeah. media, by TV, by society to believe that race is the biggest issue in the world, and we have to be compassionate towards that. I know you don't like that, but <laughs> we have yeah. to, you know, yeah. like that's what God wants us to do um, while still standing firm in the truth. But yeah. it's a, it's a classic conundrum of you have either all love and no truth, which is love, or you have all truth with no love, and both of them are wrong. Dude, it's a classic Catholic both and, right? I mean, for like literally yep. everything. And I think one of the issues with society is that everything that we, and this is everyone, not everyone in society. I think people always want to make things black and white. And I, and 90% of the time, it's never black and white. Um, yep. You know, for something, for big issues, right? Truth is truth, no matter what. There's no, like, it, for instance, marriage is black and white in some of the things. But I think some of those <clears throat> maybe smaller topics or moral issues, quote unquote, of like tattoos, which I don't think is a moral issue, but there's a there's just it's not everything so black and white. But it's funny because you know what people see. So like one of my, like I said, my and I'm not trying to like bring out my parents right now because obviously I do ministry with my with uh, my dad stuff like that. But um, you know, like we've had talks about tattoos and stuff like that, which is fine. It's it's okay to have disagreements with your parents. Like I think it's a good thing even to bring up. Sure. And I have a nose piercing. I got a hoop in my left ear and stuff like that. Made sure it's the left ear, by the way, because you gotta you gotta be educated on that stuff. 
but um but <laughs> but the thing is that i look at it right okay and there's something <laughs> there's something you gotta be okay. educated <laughs> you, gotta, you have to be educated that's, that's, that's that's a that's a touchy one but i don't know if you've ever listened to father ripper they've listened to father ripper father chad ripper oh, yeah. before yeah, yeah he, he so, spoke at benedictine last year and i got to meet him briefly oh wow wow so, yeah, yeah that's where i got so, to him. yeah i love i love father ripper and he's come out and i've heard some things about him saying you know being careful about um getting sinful in the sense of uh sort of making too much i don't know what the word is but basically be, trying to become an individual too much trying to stand out too much can become sort of sinful which i understand right like i understand the pushback on tattoos or piercings and things like that like i bleached yeah. my head i might have bleached my hair a couple of times before and things like that but for me like how i'm looking at it to be honest and maybe it's not the right way right but i see when i have this piercing and it, i do it because like it, it feels like me like i'm not trying to be in a thing or trying to be someone that i'm not it feels like who i am i've always wanted these kind of things i'm like yeah. probably going to get a lot more tattoos and for like i don't have any of my arms <laughs> and i'm probably going to change that in, in a few years and things like that but when i see it, it's like dude the same thing that's making those people angry right it's ba we're just basically talking yeah. about the catholic karens like what, the same thing that makes the Catholic Karens angry is the same thing that's bringing, like what you said, the youth to the church. It's the same exact thing. That's that's right. the difference between, yeah. right? Like, okay, when I yeah. go to mass, dude, I promise you, like you're not going to see me in a hoodie and jeans. Like it's just not how it's going to, I'm going to, I, right. I know, same I understand here. I'm coming to, you know what I mean? The wedding banquet, the, the feast and all this kind of stuff. Like I, I understand those things. I'll never be disrespecting there. But if we're outside of church, I'm I'm gonna be swagging out. I'm gonna do my best uh, to my best ability. I'm gonna be bringing my best fits. I'm make sure all that kind of stuff. And I feel like that's the both and that we lost. Right? We're talking about extremes. It's like it seems right. like maybe for a lot of Protestants, they're on the extreme of like too much aesthetics and and some of that vibe, and they're losing some of the the real identity of what the traditional church is. Like we can't just put a stage and call it church. It's, it's not what it is. So it's like it's got to be both and. Right. And there's a, there's a middle ground, like you were saying. And I think that's so important. That's one of the things I, I'm super passionate about. Like I figured it out in my life, right? Like I started out and I was in high school and I was like listening to Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder and Jordan Peterson, all these people. And I was like, dude, I want to be like a politics guy. And then I'm just way too anxious. Like me trying to come up with all these like arguments for everything just made me, dude, I was stressed out that's so funny. much. I got to a point where like I'd only let myself watch politics political videos and i was like why well, i'm gonna die at like 24 if i keep doing this like there's just no way i can a do that attack. i'm just gonna have a, yeah. yeah i'm gonna have a heart attack there's just no way and then so like i've always been searching okay like where because i felt so called like where is it at and now i've realized like i'm kind of in this spirit like don't I, i'm sorry but like don't really refer to me for questions on like these super deep theological stuff we have like patrick madrid and and trent horn for that like they're way better trust me Absolutely. but at least in terms of like trying to be relatable to the youth, right? Trying to figure out what's this ground, where are we missing these people? I want to find those people. I want to find the Miko at 15. That's just like in the space of like, he's been, he understands that the value of what Catholicism is and doesn't deny it to be the truth, but it's having such a hard time trying to get away from like listening to, you know, J Cole and Kendrick and young thug or whoever it may be that guy I was in high school and being like, I don't know if I can do both. And it's still something I struggle with, like with music and stuff. I'm still like, trying so hard to be like okay i know i can't keep listening to you know secular music and do all this and i'm you know right. being on a podcast puts more of pressure on me i think it's in james talking about teaching and what that yep. does to you and so you know i feel that all the time but it's like i think that's a good thing i'm not coming on you know i don't think we're doing ministry because we feel like we have it all figured out i think we're doing ministry because we're revealing that no you don't have to have everything figured out in order to be a catholic that's the whole point of this it's a journey and all that right. kind of stuff 
And so, yeah, once again, I'm bringing you on, so I don't want to talk too much yeah, about no, this topic, but I, get, but I get fired up on it too. There's another great analogy you just reminded me of too. And this, this is a great story. Uh, and Emily and I have shared this before too in our podcast we've done together. Emily's my fiance. And so we, we always call it this kind of like the dichotomy of masculinity, right? And so when we first started dating and she would talk about, you know, she wasn't a big fan of tattoos. I like to drive fast. I want to, you know, do the the dangerous things like like jet skiing like crazy we went jet skiing like a month into dating and she like thought i was insane and um kind of these like more just just like casually like semi-dangerous things right uh, mm-hmm. owning guns whatever like she's not anti-guns at all but um just things like that for example right it's what she came to find out is like she hated or she didn't hate but she didn't like or didn't want to date definitely didn't want to marry one of these like soft, nice, you know, Catholic boys. Right. But at the same time, when I actually did the things that like embodied, you know, or like personified my masculinity, she didn't like those either. And so she's kind of like, okay, now I'm starting to see that you don't get one without the other. Right. Like, yeah, he's, he's a little, uh, you know, aggressive at times when he's playing sports or he's competitive or whatever, but that also leads into his protectiveness and why I feel safe when I'm with him, you know? And that's exactly what I think is the interesting kind of same dichotomy of these, these Catholic Karens, as you so perfectly called them, is they don't start to understand that, like, you, you can't necessarily have one without the other. We're losing all the youth. We're losing all these people. And then when we are the people who they can look up to, who they relate to, they're like, no, but don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, mm-hmm. dude, what? <laughs> yeah. You know, and you have these 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 boomer Catholics who it's like, dog, didn't your generation like ruin the church? Yeah, literally. like like y'all aren't orthodox anyways. Like you, your generation was the one that literally like you've been alive for all of this. Like this whole decrease in vocations, and mass attendance, and baptisms, and marriages, and all. Like you, you already you already had your shot, dog. Like that's what blew my mind with these like sixty somethings who would be like, "Oh, we don't need an app, and we don't need this, and we don't." And I'm like, what? I'm I'm like I'm 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 somebody who tries to respect my elders, right? Like I try to learn from the wisdom of the past. I read of a lot of older books and 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 try to, you know, take after these Jordan Peterson types and these wise mm-hmm. men as Tom and Souls. But I'm like, yeah. but not all of y'all. You know, like but I'm not of the the mindset that that age that wisdom just comes with age because it doesn't. Yep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Holiness comes with age. It doesn't. And so I'm like, I've had too many people who are in their forties, fifties, sixties, even seventies tell me, man, you're really bright, man. I wish I knew what you, like, I wish I was like you at your age. I wish I was Mm -hmm. that into my faith at your age for me to be like, for me to go there and take somebody that's exactly like them and be like, Oh, I need to take your opinion. I need to yep. change who I am because you seem to have it all figured out. <laughs> you and your kids who don't go to mass anymore. <laughs> um, thank you for your advice. Yeah. But there is, yeah, there's this like unwillingness to have the dichotomy. And it's the same thing we see with the feminization of the church. It's mm-hmm. like you have, and it's these wonderful Catholic women, and there's a lot of great Catholic women out there, but they, feminism also bled into the church the same way that, you know, this other diversity stuff did with race. Yeah. But feminism bled into the church. We made things so feminine, um, feminine readers, altar servers, all these different things, right? Female readers, altar servers, the push for female ordination. Um, yeah. And then they're like, where are all the men? 
<laughs> and I'm like, you pushed them out. I love, yeah. I love hearing a six year old woman whose husband doesn't come to mass be like, where are all the men at some, you know, unorthodox parish? And I'm like, yeah, what? Like I, I I'm 28. Like I, 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 what? Do you, how do you? What do you think? I, I've been, I've been Catholic for 15 years. Like, do you think I pushed them away? Like, why would I have the answer to that if you don't? Yeah. Yeah. You've been around twice as long as me. You pushed yep. them away. You you demanded that you could read. You demanded that your daughter could be an altar server. And now everybody mm -hmm. except for the priest up there is a woman. Yep. And you're like, where are the men? Yep. You tell me. Yep. I'm like, they're at the they're at the Latin Mass parish. They're at the Ad Oriente yep. parish down yep. the street. That's male readers and only boy altar server. Yep. That's where they are. Yep. You know. Yeah. No. But there's I that think dichotomy that, where it's like, well, yeah. we don't want we don't want both. Yep. And it's like, well, you have to. Yeah, the or dichotomy is, is so. Yeah, the dichotomy is so on point because one of the things I don't know, maybe my parents won't like me saying this, but like one of the things I love about the parents that I have, right, is that dude. If I if you play right, let's we'll say it's on the radio, all right, for their sake. Let's just say we turn on the radio by accident. We hit the we hit the the throwback station and it's playing yeah. "Boys in the Hood" by NWA. My parents know every word of that song. That's what I love about them. They're not doing. They're not playing that. They're not putting in the aux cord and playing NWA. But it's like right. that that's who they were at one point, And that's why it makes them so special now. Like, that's why when I see them, I'm like, that's the way I am. Right. Like my parents put me on to boys, the men and a lot of this stuff and some old usher or whatever it is. And I love that. You know, I love those aspects about it. And I think that's what's going to like separate some of us. And there is I think there is room for both. There's definitely not room for a whole lot of NWA. But the point is, like, there is room for those people who feel that way. Right. And that's like, true. I think we just. I think we we suck in a lot of aspects in terms of like Catholics trying to make music or movies and a lot of things. You're just like we just try oh, yeah. way too hard to do something. It's like all you have to do is is speak truth, and speak truth isn't always just like has to be like Jesus every second of every movie, and doesn't have to be just like God is not dead. Sometimes like truth is as simple as like even in the Dark Knight, right? A, a whole theme of that series is like not trusting the government, so the corruption and the whole thing about that. Like those are just truths in themselves, and I think that reveals something. So I think yeah. like sometimes we try way too hard with that, but yeah, that dichotomy. And then also what you're talking about with advice, dude. Oh my gosh. Do you know how many people have come up to me that are divorced telling me not to get married? <laughs> it's like, oh, I got yeah. married at, I got married at 20 and everyone's like, what are you doing? I'm just like trying not to be like you probably like, I, I don't want to be <laughs> right? the, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be oh, or like, man. I'll talk to guys at work. Like I, I yeah. worked at uh Sherwin Williams, dude. I'm working with like 40 year olds and like, not, they're not hating, but I'm just saying like, sometimes they'd be like, Oh wow! Like a lot of people respect me for getting married young, but then I'll get some things. They're like, you know, people that are in the later twenties. I'm like, dude, I'm literally trying to not be you. Like this is exactly why I'm getting married because I don't want right. to be 28 acting like I have everything figured out, pushing back the times or whatever it is. I'm not, I'm not saying 28 because you're 28. That sounds disrespectful. But for the people that are like talking down on me, it's like, dude, I, I don't want to be living the this bachelor life and thinking that I can still find fulfillment in those things. And it's like being a 20 year old doesn't mean I don't have desires. Um, that are normal to most 20 year olds, right? Like, it's, it's not like I'm like, oh yeah, I don't have any desire to go out and have fun and hit this up or that up or, you know, go to the beach or on the spring breaks and stuff like that. But it's like, there's a certain level of just becoming a man. And I think that's supposed to start at 18, but for some reason it starts at 34 for everyone else is that you have to be willing to say, okay, those aren't worth it. Like I've already found somebody, right? Like how long does it take? Like I met, I met Ella, my wife at 15 years old. So by the time I was 20, if I didn't figure out I was going to marry her, what the hell am I doing? Like, I'm just sitting there and just being like everyone else, you know, it's like, 
No, I like yeah. I want to I want to be able to live together and share life together. Well, what does that mean? And according to the the truth, well, I have to get married then. So then I'm just going to do that and keep moving on with my life. It's not right. I don't know, but yeah, that that just stuff irritates decisions. me so much. Yeah, yeah, it's I, yeah, I don't know, but I I feel you on that, dude. I get so I get so irritated with these people that are just like want to talk down on me for getting married young, like I'm I'm stupid yeah. or something like that. And it's just like, all right, dude, whatever. But anywho, it's brutal. Yeah, I mean that's how it is. I think. Sort of, um, you know, as we kind of, it's so funny because we kind of like didn't go, I had these notes of like where I want to take the conversation and we didn't necessarily <laughs> like go right off of it, but then we kind of hit everything at the same time That's uh, funny as, as well. But um, I think one of my, you know, last couple questions I want to see ask about is like sort of bring it a little bit back, but I think it's going to help us kind of round out the conversation. It's like, what's this, what's this relationship you think? with conservatism and Catholicism, right? Like it's something that I think I've, I read, I've seen a few of your posts just kind of saying how those two have gone together. And, yeah. and I think orthodoxy and I, ever since I went to college really just been very, I don't know, adamant about trying to put myself in the best churches or liturgies and things like that. And where I feel like uh, just the most respectful and traditional and things like that. Um, so like, where do you see that relationship and why do you think it's so important? Yeah, that's a great question. So it is, it is, it is complex. And it's one of my favorite things to think about. Um, and I don't know if I, I think there's, there's a strong correlation, I think, between when you become more conservative, you become more Catholic, or I should say, when you become more Catholic, you become more conservative. That's actually yeah. where the way that I think that it rolls, not necessarily the yeah. other way around. Um, but when you become more authentically Catholic, more orthodox in your faith, um, falling in love with the tradition, it's hard not to value the tradition of our country as well, you know, and yep. you get back to these, the same things that um, push a uh, Protestant to become conservative oftentimes, things like the church fathers, you think of like the fathers of, you know, the founding fathers of our country. There's yeah. so many parallels between that to say, okay, you know, there's been a lot of corruption throughout the history of both the church and the United States. Um, but you can still see that like the general direction has been good. Obviously, one's infallible. And so they're definitely not on the same playing field. Um, but I think it's really easy that as you become more orthodox in your Catholicism, and you start to really allow your faith to take this primacy in your life and kind of be in the driver's seat and be like the truth and the faith. You know, the way the truth and the life is the number one thing in my life. Um, then it's hard to not say, yeah, pro-life is a, a one you know, I'd be a one issue voter for the pro-life movement because of how central that is to Catholicism to say, wow, you know, you see the progressive left um, tearing down traditional marriage. Like marriage is the core of Christianity. You know what I mean? Like of the Christian family, like the family is is central to Catholicism. Um, and you start to realize that when you start to realize, again, you have an allegiance to the truth now as a Catholic. Um, and you see gender theory and CRT and these things that degrade the human person and just blatantly lie and change, uh, change the truth, you know, the definition of the truth for many people, mm. you see the dangers of that. And so I think that it's almost impossible to grow in your Catholicism, like truly grow in it and not become more conservative if, if you're actually seeking the truth and you're open to that. Now, on the other side of it, the things that I find uncomfortable within like the Republican Party or the conservative movement is that they value a lot of things over holiness. Mm -hmm. And that I think is true for a lot of 
both Protestants and Catholics, but especially the Protestants who are within the conservative movement, which I think is such a danger for a lot of Catholics. Most of us are, are decent at still like recognizing that and, and not falling for it. But I, I do hope that as I, if, if I, um, continue to be to, to to grow as a voice within the conservative movement as well mm-hmm. to to point that out you know what i mean and like i think we need a certain type of prophet within the and not saying i'm the prophet but like a prophet type of figure or a movement you know like a jeremiah daniel like even within the conservative movement to be like it's it's not good to be republican and not christian and a lot of people think that it is <laughs> And it's yeah. like you shouldn't be al- around so many Christians that allow you to do that and think that and not uh, be made known of, of your error, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but it's so easy to fall into this like nationalism or like mm-hmm. so many conservatives view America as like the modern day Israel, right? Like when mm-hmm. we will triumph and it's like, no, we could like it could end, you know, and like what yeah. do you do if it ends? And that's why you see Protestantism and like this prosperity gospel and stuff like that. Um, it is, it is super Protestant, but Catholics do fall into it sometimes, but I do see that within the Catholic church. And if you read like firstthings.com and and some of those like, um, more conservative Catholics that are usually pretty trad as well, that are very Mm anti-liberalism, there's an interesting take on that where they do have some pretty strong criticisms of the founding fathers of like the basics of liberalism and the kind of individualism that we have in the u.s even in in the founding documents um as as it uh or from the perspective of catholicism now what i never hear from those types of catholics who criticize like liberalism and the constitution and things like that is like what's the better way with Mm -hmm. such a diverse country to live you know like i almost see them going in the same extreme as we see the left of being Mm -hmm. like no freedom of speech is not a catholic thing and i'm like i agree but like what do you what do you suggest we do get rid of it? And then yeah. like, when we're not in power, like I, I'm all for it. If we, if we could like create like secede Texas and just have this like Catholic kingdom, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and have father Mike as our King, like <laughs> I'd be all about it, man. But yeah. I'm like, we can't. So like, what do you suggest we do? Cause I, I hate, I also hate criticisms just for the sake of criticism, yeah. you know? And it's like, there's no solution. And it's like, well, all right, that's all good and fine, but we can't teleport back and try to like convert the founding fathers to Catholicism. So what do you suggest that we do now? You know? And so those are some of the things that I see is kind of the relationship between conservatism and Catholicism. And I think the pitfalls and danger that you can fall into when you prioritize one or the other. Yeah, no, it's such a good point too, because like, okay, let's like, let's like anything twisted up. I'm going to be voting Republican probably till I die. Like that's just, that's just how it's going to go because of the two issues that, that you said, I mean, specifically abortion and uh, the marriage one's going to be a tough fight, but I mean, specifically abortion itself and this, the idea of uh, subsidiarity and things like that, that I'm always going to tend to write, but it's important. Like I, I stopped trying to. I feel like for a long time I tried to defend the Republican body on a lot of things. And it's like, you got to understand as Catholics, we're Catholics. So there's a lot of things wrong within both. Now there's more things wrong within the left than the right. So therefore a lot of times we, we will affiliate with that party when voting, but there's a lot of things. It's like, if you go read Pius IX or Leo Thirteenth on things like Ram Navarum and this idea of consumerism and only establishing 
uh, things such as like when you create a business is like practical principles for businesses as like a Catholic social teaching and the idea of a common good. And I think a lot of times with the Republican party, there can be like a lack of, of acknowledgement that like some things matter, like the idea of, you know, making things overseas and whatever it may be, maybe like child labor or some of those things. Those are actually issues. I think sometimes we try to brush it off by saying, oh, no, 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 but everyone gets it cheaper. And it's like, ah, I think we lost the idea of we're supposed to be the moral party. (laughs) Yeah, we're supposed to be the moral party, but we just said, ah, that doesn't matter because everything's cheaper. So like there's a place for both. And and unfortunately, I think maybe you were kind of getting at this too, is that uh, some, you know, of the Catholic conservatives don't really want to bring that up and they might even be kind of mad with it. I know regular conservatives are, they get super defensive. Of like we have to, for some reason, I think a lot of times you have to put yourself in these two bubbles of like mm-hmm. this very strict guidelines of what to believe. And the Republicans one's getting just bigger and bigger too, by the way, it's not even, I mean, it's barely conservative for, for like most things, but right. um, it's just funny how we like feel like we have to force ourselves into those. And it's like, ah, you actually don't like you can, you can say that, um, what we have in the free market, I don't really like calling it capitalism too much, but I guess, you know, to a certain extent, yeah, it, that, that can be, that's the best that we have available, which is what the church teaches, but you can also be able to criticize it without having to immediately become a socialist. Like it's just, there's, there's a middle ground for a lot of things here, or you can like, you can say that, oh, you know what? I think there is some room for sustainability without being a tree hugger and then being great at Thunberg and rowing your way across the ocean. Like there's, there's <laughs> certain, you know what I mean? Like there's certain things that we can do. We can make a better effort. We can be more, we can be more moral and ethical in the way we conduct business and stuff like that, which is not what this podcast is about. Maybe we can have another episode about that though. I'll yeah, bring you back go. on for that. But um, I think my, my last question though, yeah. as we kind of wrap it up is sort of, you know, we talked a lot about basically everything and I just want to know kind of like, where do you see society moving? I tend to be uh, a pessimist myself, but I, I think I am actually pretty optimistic about where we're going and things like you said, right, the opportunities that I think we had that we wouldn't have before to have a voice and, and be a witness for people. So, like, what's your kind of outlook on, on society moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, I, I think that we're undoubtedly heading into worse before we get better. I think the question is, how long will it continue to get worse before it gets better? I think these next two elections in 22 and 24 are going to be massive. I have a lot of reservations and concerns about um, Trump running again in 24. Um, I'm very grateful for what he did from 2016 to 2020. I voted Mm -hmm. for him in 2020. It was the first presidential election I voted in. So he's the only president I've ever voted for. Um, So I'm over one. Um, But I think, I think he's the only person who mobilizes the left. Like, like he does. I think he's the only person who has a potential to lose despite how abysmal this Biden presidency is just like, I think Hillary Clinton is almost the only person who could have lost to him in 2016. You know what I mean? Because he was such a wild card, but the right hated Hillary so much that they were like, F it, like give me Trump, you know, Mm -hmm. and none of nobody believed like Trump in 2020 was not Trump of 2016. Like that was Mm -hmm. a straight up unbelievable. It was a South park episode. You know what I mean? Like we couldn't believe that that was reality. Yeah. And so I'm afraid that he'll run again in 2024 and lose, um, somehow and that we would be in for some some really dark days and so i i actually am of the more pessimistic uh mindset i think that i'm optimistic like through our faith obviously and mm-hmm. um i think the beauty of the 20th century that we haven't had as much in the last 30 or 40 years 
is uh, there was mad saints <laughs> with all these world wars and the ugliness mm -hmm. and the terribleness that was happening in the world. We had a lot of saints and we yep. haven't had as many um, in the last several decades. And I think that that's going to change in our lifetime, in our generation. I think we're going to have a number of saints. But I, I am trying to prepare myself to raise kids who are going to live in an apostolic age and not in Christendom, which I think we're moving into. And I think it's pretty objectively true that that's happening. Um, and so I think that that's not that's not typically like a 15 year period, you know, um, that's typically like centuries long or at least, you know, 50 to 100, 100 years. And so I think that we're going to be into a serious time of of apostolic age and uh, we're going to have some serious pruning in the church that's already begun for the last 60 years. Um, but I do I do hope and have optimism that like by the end of our lives, we'll start to see things turning around and changing. I think mm -hmm. there's a good movement in the uh, young conservatives and things like that, pushing against the hippies and the boomers that ruined the yep. church and America. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but I think that uh, it's going to take a while to turn around. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So I think we're in for sure. a good a good 40 years of uh, especially if we lose these next like if 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 things don't really reverse this year in the midterms and then if we don't win the presidency back in 24 i think we're in for some dark times and if we don't reverse roe v wade if we do reverse roe v wade we're going to have a civil war over abortion and if yeah. we don't reverse roe v wade um i am shocked that god hasn't destroyed our country yet so yeah. um yeah that's that's where i feel like people especially the conservatives that we were talking about earlier of like this nationalism of like america's israel yeah you know what i mean like the chosen country it's like we are so horrible yeah. you know like america's so great and i love it and there's a lot of great things about it but our culture and the things that we've done in the last hundred years and we don't just do them we promote them throughout the world yeah you know like we talk about yeah. the areas of russia spreading throughout the world like Dude, we're paying for abortions in other countries. We're paying for gender theory stuff happening in more conservative yep. countries, Muslim countries. And it's like, how how do we not just get, yeah. you know, our own personal flood here in the next 30 Seriously. years? Um, so, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm pessimistic about that. But one thing that inspires me in that is when I take all of that in and I think about it, I'm just more inspired to try to be a saint myself. Yep. Um, try to help Emily to be a saint uh, because yep. I think that's going to be what's most needed. Yeah, that's how I feel too. I, I'm pessimistic about, I guess, society in general, but I'm super excited about the opportunities that I think we have that I don't think we ever had before. Like, uh, there's a lot of things I have my own. Um, I feel like uh, my own callings and things that I'm like very ambitious about. And um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I guess time will tell. Um, okay, I, I lied. I have one more thing. It's be Let's a quick one. It. It's just. For those who are listening, especially the younger audience, maybe even for the young minorities out there, if there's any listening to us too, um, like what is your advice for them? I mean, just at a general level, I think whether it be for surviving in the society or practicing their faith or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great one. I, I've been wanting to record a podcast on this because, so I have, I have a ton of thoughts. And recently I had one of my cousins overdosed on drugs and passed away uh, about a week and a half ago. And through all of that happening and just kind of like reentering with that side is on, on my black side of my family. Mm -hmm. um, and just seeing my black family and just kind of the state of affairs, you know, the state of the union that is my black family, the Crankfield family, it's, it's depressing. There's no way around it. 
Um, and I've been trying to think, you know, for so long of like, what would I say to my younger cousins, to my nieces and nephews, to try to get them to stop the cycle, you know, to stop this cycle of, it's not even mediocrity, it's below that, right? Below average living and settling. And one thing I was thinking about today as I was driving home from the gym, actually, so maybe that was for this podcast, was that we accept and approve of everything, which is why we have nothing, I think. Um, my family I'm talking about, you know, I also just had a cousin come out um, as gay or he's a nephew technically, but he's older than me because my family's all kinds of wild. But um, he just came out as gay and I was watching everybody kind of praise him. And I'm like, you know, I could almost understand it more if he was like mentally, emotionally, spiritually sound. And he was like, this is who I am, you know. But I'm like, if there's anybody in my life who I've ever met legit, like not exaggerating who would be, you know, we talk about nature versus nurture when it comes to homosexuality. And I think that mm -hmm. it's a balance of both. And there's mm -hmm. cases of both. If there's ever an example in my life of somebody who might be nurture into that, and I'm not talking about like he was raised to be gay because we had a very like kind of conservative, typical like black, like be a man, like don't yeah, be yeah. gay. Like back when like gayness was frowned upon, right? Yeah. yeah but yeah. it never met his father um is all types of drugged out at this point like you could look and see my man and see he is not doing well mental health wise emotionally in between jobs he's been an atheist since we were 10 years old i'm like nothing about him is like oh i'm doing well and this is just a part of who i am right like so i'm like mm -hmm. this is depressing and everybody's celebrating it like it's this good thing and so my all this to build up to if if anybody's out there who's listening to this that that you look around at your family and you're like man this is so broken this is such a mess which i think is true for white people and black people alike but um i think as you know black catholics especially or minority catholics thinking about you might even be looking at wow my whole family is liberal my whole family's pro choice or pro same sex marriage or whatever it might be or not practicing their faith it's just to, to be willing to do the work to be different, right? And I had to move away. I had to do a lot of things. Ranger school was not fun. I remember uh, laying there, you know, on these cold nights in the mountains being snowed and rained on. And um, But I wanted to learn how to become a man. I went to college to do that. I've read hundreds of books, you know, since I turned 18, trying to learn and understand um, and seeking out mentors and guidance. But really, I think what's needed more than anything, and I've been writing about this a lot recently for a different book that I'm trying to write, is just you just need to um, kind of like Men in Black when they had that kind of memory, you know, they got the memory joint, yeah. uh, the the stick. And it's yeah. like you need to just like wipe it clean. Like you can't forget your memories. But like what you think life is, what you think excellence is, what you think your standard of living is, you just need to completely blank it out. And actually go out and seek the truth and seek what is excellence. What do I want to be my standard for my life? Because it's not worth repeating the cycle. And it's difficult and it's painful and it's hard to be pruned. It's hard to be changed. It's hard to submit your life to Christ and to actually allow him to make you into somebody. But man, I look at what my family has and what I could have been and what I could have done. 
And I'm like, I'm so glad that I'm getting married to Emily Harpole in the church in two weeks. And I have this wonderful job and this wonderful home and this amazing dog and this amazing ministry that I get to do, you know, and the nice car I get to drive. And it's not just about the material things, but also that I have this virtue, that I have this commitment to the truth, that I have the courage to commit to one woman for the rest of my life and to not use birth control and to uh, have waited for marriage and all these other things, right? Um, it's like, that's so much better than what I get to, than what I see in the rest of my family. And it's, it's so hard because they have this mentality. Oh, oh, you think you're better than us. And it's like, no, I don't think that I have more value than you, but I'm very glad that I'm living my life and I'm not living yours. And I think if you could choose between yours and mine, you'd choose mine too. There is a better way. And that's something that I think a lot of minority communities in general, but minority Catholics get into this, like, you can't, who am I to judge? And it's like, no, dog, you need to start judging because there's a better way to live and you might not be living it right now. And that's a hard reality to face. That's a hard truth to accept. But when you do accept it, that's what opens you up to the possibility of changing your life. And when you can accept responsibility for, wow, I'm not living right. And maybe it's not just my dad's fault or my mom's fault or my brother's fault. Maybe it's my fault. I accept responsibility for getting myself into this mess then you actually have the power to change it and get yourself out. So I think the, the biggest thing is realizing that there is a better way of living, probably than you're, how you're currently living, um, and accepting responsibility for changing your own life and allowing God to be uh, the driving force behind that. Yeah, that's beautifully said, dude. That's beautifully said. It's, it, it reminds me, in a real condensed version, like literally one of the worst teachers I've ever had, had like, like literally had probably the one like one of the best advice I've ever heard. And it was very, is like super simple. Wow. And it was like, I didn't learn anything from him. That's why I call him one of the worst teachers. It was, you know, a good guy, I'm sure. And things like that. But, uh, I remember at like our last day of school, this is like sophomore year of high school. And it's this AP Euro class. And he was like, if I had to tell, like, if you guys get anything from this class, he's like, I would just say question everything. And I was like, at first I was thinking about, it, I was like, dude, classic lib, right? Like, of course he's telling me to question everything <laughs> right. and like, in like the classic morals of society. But then I was like, it stuck with me ever since then. I'm like, no, but you do like, if you don't question why you believe something, you'll never understand truly why. And you'll never have the conviction right. to fight for it. So it was like, yeah, dude, that stuck with me forever. Uh, yeah. It's to, at least to this day, I think it always, it was just so fascinating the way it was like kind of dramatic the way he did it, like a movie ending, but it was like super sick at the same time. But um, anyways, I just want to thank you, dude, for coming on. I thought it was, I mean, I knew it was going to be good, but I had uh, even more fun than I anticipated. I thought it was awesome. I hope to uh, definitely bring you back uh, sometime and we could dive into more things. I think there's so much more to talk about that we could do. Um, and also, I'm praying for you for this marriage. Hope hope that uh, the wedding days is as amazing as as uh, everyone else is always, as always is, as, as mine was, as you hope it to be. Um, I'm praying that you, you know what I mean, just are... Um, I mean, I know you're uh, look like a great man, at least from my perspective, and I, I hope that continues into your marriage and everything like that. And uh, yeah, dude, let's do it again sometime. Absolutely, man. Yeah, we'll have to get you on Seeking Access podcast as well. We'll have a good time. This was yeah. great. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's been a blessing, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. If you guys stay through the whole video, um, let us know if you like it. If you want to bring Nathan back on, I'm probably going to regardless, even if you don't say anything. So I'll just take that as a yes. But uh, until the next time, guys, peace out. Have yourself a good one.